0: Previously on Digger, Dylan and his friends reached Mirage, a snot covered city that can only be seen out of the corner of your eye. There they met Goffet, a Miragean who promised he would help them obtain supplies as they passed through on their way to the Noer volcanoes. Goffet mistook them for the Lower Ones, a Sasquatch like race of beings who had apparently frequented the city in the past. Instead of helping them obtain supplies, he tried to rob them before they could leave the city. But Mora tapped into the light and fought off the Miragean bandits. With Mora exhausted from the fight, Dylan must now fly the airship to the volcanoes. But just as they begin their voyage into the darkness, they are stopped by a Union ship. And now for Episode 8, Fishing for Answers. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents. Digger. Dylan froze in his chair as the Union ship docked with their airship. Pistons hissed, and the cockpit gave a sharp jerk once the ships were connected. The sound of locks turning around the door made Dylan's stomach do somersaults. How'd the Union soldiers find them? How are they going to defend themselves? He glanced around the room for weapons, his mind racing. He looked down at mora who was still fast asleep in the chair next to him mora mora he gave her a nudge but she just mumbled and rolled over in her seat great dylan thought she was the only real defense they had mac and laney were busy having their own panic attack oh man they're docked they're docked mac was saying pacing the cockpit i knew i should have just bitten the bullet and hired security guards Oh, "'Professional wrestlers have bodyguards, and they're enormous! Oh, "'I knew the Union would be on our tail. "'They probably tracked us with some advanced subterranean geolocation tech. "'I should have checked the circuits for a transmitter.'" Nearby, Laney was talking a million miles per hour, smearing a bunch of eyeshadow all over her face, and making a dark circle in the middle of her shirt. "'Just a little bit more, and it should be convincing enough,' she told herself." Some more here, and a little more there. Okay, okay, that's good. You can do this. Sure, death scenes aren't easy, but you haven't been practicing holding your breath for nothing. Gah, if only DeAndre from the props department were here, this would look so much more convincing. The latch on the exit door suddenly screeched and the door swung open. Dylan jumped up and grabbed more spear, pointing it at the doorway. The spearhead didn't so much as flicker at his touch. Max shook his sweaty blonde hair out of his face and held his fists up in fighting position. Lainey draped herself over some boxes and pretended to be dead, the makeup blotches serving as impressive blaster marks. The room fell silent for several seconds, and then a perfectly round man dressed in dark blue robes squeezed through the door. He was pale with messy dark hair that had a blue streak through it, Dylan recognized him immediately. Grebe? Grebe's intense expression softened into a smile when he saw the kid's. The orange glow of his ax dimmed. Thank the light you're alive! Mac relaxed his awkward fighting position and Laney peeked out from one eye. Grebe's gaze grew more intense as it went from the spear in Dylan's hands to Mora, who was still asleep, then back to the spear again. "'What have you done to my daughter?' The axe in Grebe's hand glowed orange as he marched towards Dylan. Laney went limp, resuming her fake death, and Mac retook his fighting stance. Dylan dropped the spear and put his hands up. "'No, no, 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 she's just asleep, I swear!' Grebe stopped right in front of him and checked Mora. When he saw that her chest was moving, his axe dimmed again. "'What happened?' he asked. She's just exhausted from lifting so much, Dylan explained. She used too much light, I think. She was supposed to drop you all off and turn back, Greep said harshly. Why didn't she return? We were attacked, Mac jumped in, lowering his fists. Kai and a took us. Then we escaped and were ambushed by Bandith in Mirage. He nodded to Mora. She fought them off and was like pew-whack, pew-pew-whack, pew 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 pew-whack-whack-whack. Pew, pew, whack, whack, Mac traced his finger through the air and bounced it around like a pinball machine. Dylan glanced up at the ceiling and shook his head. Mac's antics seemed to have no effect on Grebe. He stroked his daughter's pale face. How many were there? Mac shrugged. At least a dozen. A dozen? Greeb checked to see if he'd heard him correctly. She defeated a dozen Miragians? With basically zero help, yes. Greeb looked at his daughter as if seeing her in a new light. It's hard to see just one Miragian, let alone a dozen. He paused and then said, Young girl. There was silence as Laney peeked out with one eye again. Yes, you. Greeb nodded to her. Fetch me the vial of red liquid in that cabinet over there. Surprised and a little embarrassed, Laney hopped up. This cabinet right over here? I got it, Dylan said, springing to his feet. Laney raised an eyebrow at him as he ran past her in a hurry and returned with the red vial. Greeb smiled and gave him a curious look as he slowly took it out of his hands. Thanks, he said simply. He unscrewed the vial's cap and gently poured a few drops of red liquid into Mora's mouth. While they waited for something to happen, Grebe looked back at Laney, who was trying to rub the eyeshadow smears off her cheek. We do not have weapons that leave marks like that on the body. He motioned to the smeared eyeshadow on her shirt. Laney pursed her lips. But your ability to stay perfectly still is impressive, he quickly added. For a second there, I thought maybe you had passed out while painting your face. Laney's eyes bounced from side to side as she turned her head. Yeah, well, maybe that was what I was going for. I'm sure. Greeb shot her a smile and then turned back to check on Mora. Seeing her eyebrows move, he poured a couple more drops of the liquid into her mouth. Seconds later, her big blue eyes blinked open. As if he'd been holding his breath for a minute, Dylan let out a long sigh of relief that Greeb noted with some interest. They both helped Mora sit up. "What? Where? Father!" Mora threw her arms around Greeb and buried her face in his shoulder. "How did you find us?" Greeb chuckled. "There is a tracker in the airship." "'Every Union garbage ship has one.' "'I told you!' Max shouted, and then quieter when he got glares. "'Told you!' Mora lowered her head. "'I am a fool. I have led them right to us.' "'I am not sure I would say that,' Greeb assured her, pushing her blue hair out of her face. "'The Union has its hands full at the moment.' Finding you is no longer their top priority. Mora looked at him confused. What do you mean? What is happening? Father, how did you escape? Relax, Mora. Slow, easy breaths. Give the oil a chance to do its job. I will show you what I mean. He helped Mora up and motioned for the others to follow. This way. He led them through the doorway into the attached Union ship. Mac's eyes bulged when he stepped into the new ship. Okay, this is juicy. Seriously, Mac, I will pay you to stop using that word. Laney trailed off as she too stepped into the ship and looked around. The kids gaped at the ceilings and walls that were completely covered in black crystals. It was like they'd walked into a dark crystal-filled geode. All around them, sticking out in various sizes, were black crystals flickering with tiny lights that blinked inside them like trapped fireflies. For a second, Dylan thought he had stepped into outer space. It looked like he was surrounded by countless twinkling stars, each light shining out of a crystal and reflecting off another. Whoa, he whispered. Grebe was obviously used to the setting, because he paid no attention to the magnificent crystal display as he helped Mora over to the cockpit controls. Like the walls and ceiling, the control panel itself consisted mainly of black crystals. They were assembled to work as levers and joysticks, and all filled with more Firefly-like lights. Above the panel was a wide window that looked out into the darkness outside, where the faint green glow of mirage shimmered like an aurora in the distance. Grebe and Mora sat down in the cockpit, and gradually Dylan, Mac, and Laney peeled their eyes away from the crystals to come take a seat next to them. While Grebe fiddled with the controls, Mora looked over at Dylan. "'You did it,' she said weakly. "'You flew the ship.' "'All by yourself.' "'She managed to smile, and Dylan felt his stomach flutter. "'I flew like twenty feet, if that,' he admitted with a nervous laugh. "'That is better than I could do on my first try,' Mora replied. "'That is true,' Grebe confirmed, still fiddling with the controls. "'Behind them, Laney looked at Mac and made a gagging gesture. "'Here we are.' Grieb said, pulling one last crystal lever. As he did, a thick black crystal in the ceiling lowered and turned a point at the cockpit window. The twinkling lights inside it swirled together until they formed a bright light that shot out of the crystal's tip and projected an image onto the window. Mac held his hands up, pointing to the window. Oh, come on, guys. You're going to tell me that's not one of the juiciest things you've ever seen? It's... Cool, Mac. Definitely cool, Laney prompted. The projected image on the window was sharp and colorful, full of footage of Ryan. Only the images they were seeing were nothing of the Ryan they'd remembered. In fact, the capital city was barely recognizable. Airships of all sizes roared between the crystal skyscrapers, blasting cannons at Union ships and hoverbikes. Airships exploded against buildings, bringing entire crystal structures crashing down. Ryanites battled in the streets. Union soldiers in slick gray armor threw molten boomerangs, while Riser militia, dressed in yellow armor with red capes, returned fire with their crystal blasters. Chaos filled the city. Ryan has erupted into a civil war, Greep said shaking his head at the images. Kai used surveillance footage of you in his building and combined it with the wreckage of his personal quarters. He framed you as terrorists from above, sent down by the surfacers to assassinate him. Greeb turned the crystal and the images changed to show riser propaganda footage of Dylan, Laney, and Mac in Kai's castle, only the video was cut to make it look like they were sneaking through the building. An exterior shot of Kai's suite being blown up and the four of them escaping in the airship brought the video to a climax. Kai's shouting narrated every scene. He called for Under-Earth to unite against the menace from above and said they were now left with no choice but to rise and claim what was rightfully theirs. Unbelievable, Dylan said, he didn't even get us on camera saying what he wanted us to say, and he still got what he wanted. Kai always gets what he wants, Greeb sighed. His ranks more than quadrupled overnight because of this. The people who were waiting on the sidelines got scared and joined the risers. The Union was holding on to power by a thread before any of this happened. Now they are all but wiped out. They tried to claim that the footage was fabricated, of course, that it was a cheap attempt to stir up the people, but their argument fell on deaf ears. When the risers finally attacked Union headquarters, the guards around me were all forced to leave their posts, and the devastation unleashed on the building turned half my cell into rubble. I escaped and took one of the Union ships with me. "'Since I am somewhat familiar with their interface due to my union post, "'I was able to find my garbage ship's whereabouts and follow you here.' "'There was a long silence as the kids did nothing "'but remain glued to the projection of battles flashing across the window. "'What do we do?' Mora finally asked. "'We cannot go back,' Greeb answered. "'There is nothing to go back to.' Fire fills the city. Even our people in the Outer Ring were forced to flee beyond the lights of Ryan. That is the genius of it all. Kai is leaving the people with no choice but to rise to the surface. He has made them destroy their own home. Now they must rise to make a new one. He looked at the kids and in quiet desperation said, All we can do is continue on to the volcanoes. "'But that was to get them home, father,' Mora said, her voice growing anxious. "'What will we do?' "'All we can hope to do is rise with them and pray we are accepted,' Greeb said sadly. "'We have no other choice.' "'As long as you're with us, we can guarantee your protection,' Mac said resolutely. "'Mac, don't say that,' Laney said, smacking his arm.' You know we can't promise them that. Uh, yes, I can. I have the ultimate doomsday bunker on my property. Not even the U.S. Army Special Forces can break into that thing. I had a small army of doomsday preppers design it. He looked back at Greeb and Mora. As long as you stick with us, we can hide out there. He's right, Dylan said. I've been in there. It should protect us. I mean, what choice do we have? Mora looked at Dylan, worry filling her eyes. I trust you, she said. Then we have no time to waste, Greeb said in a hurry. The foothills of the volcanoes are not far from here, but in order to complete the journey, we will need supplies. Are you stocked? No, Dylan said. We tried to get supplies in Mirage, but like I said, we were ambushed. Then we will need to skyfish before continuing. You three put something warm on and meet us on the roof. Bora and I will get the fishing gear ready. Mac shook his head. I'm sorry, did you say skyfish? But we passed the boiling sea a long time ago, Dylan added. Is there another body of water out here? Grebe smiled. We do not need water to skyfish. Go on, get dressed in something warm and meet us on the roof. You will see what I mean. Confused, Laney, Mac, and Dylan went to the back of the ship to find some warm coats to put on. Laney found a closet in another room that was full of strange scarfs and linens that she kept trying on over and over, practicing different characters based on each look. Mac and Dylan dug through a closet in the opposite room and tried on coats lined with strange alien beast fur. ''You like her, huh?'' Max said, trying on a thick purple fur coat. ''I'm not going to talk about this right now,'' Dylan said, flipping through the coats. ''What? Don't tell me you're going to make this another one of your secrets.'' ''Dude, you know it safe with me. I haven't told anybody about the...'' He glanced around, and then whispered, ''Dagger?'' Dylan turned to face him. ''Oh, please, you want to talk about secrets?'' How about you stealing treasure down here and not telling any of us about it? Yeah, you didn't think any of us would notice when you pour a pile of rubies into that slimeball's hands? Mac clenched his jaw and pointed at Dylan. I didn't steal those jewels, okay? Those were mine. (laughs) Dylan scoffed. Yeah, right. You just keep your pockets stuffed with pirate treasure everywhere you go? Give me a break, Mac. I've known you forever. Okay, fine. Mac said, throwing his hands up. You want me to come clean to everybody? I will. But only if you come clean about the dagger. Then we're even. Dylan hesitated and then looked Mac up and down. Let's do it. Good. Great. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Fabulous. The boys glared at each other as they aggressively put on their heavy coats. Meanwhile, on the roof of the ship... Greeb and Mora prepped the sky-fishing gear. Mora, Greeb said, glancing up from the fishing net. I see you have grown fond of that surfacer boy. Mora didn't look up from the long fishing pole she was assembling. His name is Dylan, and there is something about him. He is special. Greeb smiled at her. If that is what the light tells you... That I believe you. Mora again didn't look up to meet his smile, so he continued. He and the others say that you confronted a dozen Miragean bandits. Is this true? Now Mora looked up at him, a look of hesitancy on her face. It is, she said quietly. I do not know why, but it feels as though my powers are growing stronger. The light is burning brighter the further we go, as if Ryan was holding me back in some way. Grieb looked at her curiously. That is what you have felt for some time now, is it not? This is why you have tried to leave so many times before? I do not know. Perhaps I have always felt a pull to some place new. Greeb set down his net and waited for his daughter to look at him. Mora, were you digging again? There was a long silence. I did not bring them here, if that is what you are asking, Mora said, a hint of frustration in her voice as she assembled the poles faster. It is not, Greeb replied simply. That hole was already there, mostly. The soil was soft and lightly packed. They broke through on their own and landed on my ship. Your ship? Interesting, Greeb said thoughtfully. And now you feel some responsibility to care for them? Mora raised her eyebrows at him. You were the one who told me to take them out of danger, were you not? Yes, but you went beyond the call of duty, daughter. He smiled. I admire your courage, Mora. You've come so far and done so much, all for alien strangers from above. Other races have not shown you the same courtesy. But I should not be surprised. You have done as your mother would have done. She was always going out of her way to help those in need, even if she did not know them. She would be proud. Mora finally smiled. I will admit, it has been a lot of work, and the girl pretends not to be here, which is strange and annoying. But for the most part, they have been good company. We have been through a lot together. No doubt, her father said. On our journey, Mora continued, we have encountered strange things. What kinds of strange things? another species of beings I have never seen or heard of before. We found skeletal remains of a large, ape-like people that appear to have battled with the Union armies. Mirage has statues to them, and they refer to them as the Lower Ones. Have you heard of them? Greeb's eyes widened at the name. The Lower Ones? he repeated. You saw bones? thousands of them, littering the ocean floor. Father, I do not understand why I was never taught of such a battle. From what we saw, it would have been the largest battle Ryan has ever seen. So it was, Greeb muttered absently. I did not know it was true, but there were whispers of a past conflict with another race of beings that went by that name. The Union will not admit to it and any evidence of the war was quickly hidden or destroyed. All that remains now are the stories passed down from the elders. Who were they? The stories say they were a wild people from the lower layers. The lower layers? That is what they say. The legends say they rose up and the Union destroyed them without delay. The Union regularly denies such claims but what you saw matches the descriptions I have heard. So I am afraid it must be true. But why would we kill them? Mora asked. Did they attack? Mora, if there is one thing I have learned during my time working as a union garbage collector, it is that just about everything is trash to them. The arrival of another species is a threat to their reign, one that must be extinguished. Mora shook her head in disbelief. "'Yoo-hoo! Here I am!' said Laney in a southern drawl as she climbed up onto the roof, wearing a foofy black-and-white fur coat. "'Why are you speaking like that?' Mora asked, annoyed. "'Show a little more respect, sweet pea. (laughs) "'You're talking to the one and only Scarlet B. Hayes, Georgia's finest detective.' Mora gave her father a look as if to say, "'See what I mean?' Nice coat, Laney. Looks like you're turning into a panda bear, though,' Max said, stepping out onto the roof behind her. He had gone with the big purple coat. And Dylan, climbing up after him, was wearing a heavy leather jacket. They walked over to Grebe and Mora, who were handing out the fishing gear. "'Man, I haven't fished in forever,' Dylan said, taking a pole. It was twice as long as he was tall. Mac marveled at the length of his pole. Well, this is a little unsettling, he said, looking the pole up and down. Do I dare ask what we're going to be fishing out here? Oh, please, don't be silly, Laney said in her accent. It's pitch black, you fools. The only thing anyone's going to catch out here is a cold. (laughs) She scoffed and tossed her hair dramatically. This is sky fishing, Greeb explained. We will try to catch some sky grub. But where's the bait, Dylan said, pointing to the terrifyingly huge empty hook on the end of his line. Don't we get some worms or something? The worms, Morris said with a knowing smile, are up there. She took a spotlight and flashed it through the darkness. The beam pierced through the darkness and shone on the muddy under-earth cave ceiling above. As it did, an enormous slimy pink body slithered in and out of sight. There, All right! Gross! The kid said. I have set the ship to cruise so that our lines move across the ceiling, Greep said. Three of us will cast our lines up at the Skygrub, and one will be the catcher. He handed a long, wide net with a handle to Laney, who quickly passed it on to Dylan, who immediately handed it off to Mac at the end of the line. "'Oh, Murphy! Mac said, grabbing hold of the net with two hands. Greed pulled out a cage full of screeching bats wearing little collars. "'The grub love bats. They are the bait and will keep your line suspended, so make sure you get one on your hook before casting.' He opened the cage and attached the collar of a bat to each hook. The bats fluttered on the end of the lines, making them swoop and swerve above them. Laney screamed and waved her live bat bait out of her face. Oh, I declare! Gree put his hand on Mora. Mora will be our spotlight so we can see the grub coming down once it is caught. This is where you come in. He nodded to Mac, who looked back at his net in horror and gulped. "'No,' he breathed. "'You catch the grub and set them in this bucket here, "'but do it quickly because they bite.' "'No,' Mac repeated. "'Looks like everyone has their poles.' "'We looked to Moore and Mac. "'Ready?' "'Yes!' "'No!' "'Give them a toss,' Grebe said.' He, Dylan, and Laney cast their lines into the air and the bats shrieked up towards the ceiling. Morris' spotlight scanned the muddy ceiling, flashing across the bats as they flapped at the end of the lines. A giant brown worm poked out of the ceiling and snapped at a bat, but barely missed before plunging back into the mud. Whoa! Dylan shouted, yanking at his line so that his bat would keep on flying laney cowered over her pole and whined not daring to look at what her bat was up to chump she screamed as she felt her line jerk you got one greeb cheered laney looked up to see a slimy pink worm the size of a python biting down on her hook reel her in greeb encouraged ready that net boy mac cried quietly to himself as he bounced on his toes holding the net out Gah, Lainey yanked down on her pole, and the worm popped out of the cave ceiling with a grotesque flunk and came falling down. I got it, I got it, I got it, flump, the worm landed in a wriggling coil in Mac's net. Well done, Greed said. The end of the worm's tail poked out of the net and slapped against Max's expressionless face. Oh my gosh, this is nasty. He finally snapped out of it and ran over to dump the hideous creature into the huge bucket. Mora's spotlight caught sight of a fat black worm as it jumped out and chomped down on Dylan's bat. I got it, he said, reeling in the line until the whole worm came slithering out of the ceiling. Nice catch, Mora praised. Mac barely caught this one as it came down, and he had to prod it with a few fingers so it would fall all the way into the net. Oh man, liquid's coming out of this one! It's spraying! Growth, 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 growth! He quickly dumped it into the bucket. Grebe caught the biggest one yet, a mean-looking albino grub that popped out with one hard yank. Mac missed the catch entirely, and the huge white worm landed around his shoulders like a slimy scarf. Mac's gaping mouth tried to form the words, making him look like a fish out of water. The furious worm wrapped itself around his neck and squeezed. Gasping for air, Max smacked at it to get it off. Within seconds, Grebe had marched over, clubbed the creature over the head, and threw it into the bucket. The round man let out a hearty laugh as he attached another bat to his hook and cast his line. As the minutes passed, more worms were yanked out of the sky and thrown into the slithering bucket. After the second catch, Laney's panic attack had subsided, and she was actually getting into it. Come on and get some, you filthy vermin, she'd yell. Y'all want a piece of this? Eat bat! In the end, she'd caught twice as many grubs as everybody else. Once Grebe had decided they had caught enough, he collected the gear and put them away in the ship. When he returned, he was carrying a big metal box. He set it down on the roof of the Union ship and opened it. A glowing orange ball shone inside. Dylan could immediately feel the warmth emitting from the crystal ball as it swirled with waves of yellow and orange. He and the others took a seat around it. Is that a Joppo?' Mac asked. "'Like the one from your hut?' "'It is,' Greep said, pulling the box away so that only the orb sat in front of them on a little metal dish." I figured you all must be hungry, so why not enjoy our catch? Dylan, Mac, and Laney exchanged a worried look as Grebe got up and walked over to the bucket. All at once, they tried to protest when he returned, holding a huge pink worm, but Grebe just laughed and tossed the grub onto the joppo. Psst. Laney's mouth turned down into a disgusted frown as she stared at the huge worm that squealed and sizzled on the scorching ball. Mora rubbed her hands together and licked her lips. Hmm, I cannot wait. I have been craving grub for weeks. Greed noticed the disgusted and distracted look on the kid's faces. Do not worry, he laughed. Grub is delicious. Give it a chance. You will like it, trust me. And even if you don't, it is all we have to eat until we reach the volcanoes. After the worm had developed a charred outer shell, Grebe announced that it was done and cut it into slices right there on the joppo. Then he delicately dished the slices up and handed them out. Dylan let out a long breath before he finally took his first bite. He closed his eyes and chewed. His eyes opened. It wasn't half bad. In fact, it was pretty good. Mmm, it's like a really faulty thurloin, Max said, taking another big bite. mmm, 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 mm, mmm. Mm. Now that is... We know, Laney and Dylan interrupted. Well, as long as you know, Max said, swallowing his bite and digging in for more. He paused, looking at the cooked meat on the end of his twisted metal stick they could only assume was some kind of fork. Now that we're all in a better mood, I think it's time to share some important news. Right, Dill? He raised his eyebrows at Dylan, who glanced awkwardly at Mora, and motioned for Mac not to continue. The others looked at them both confused. What news is this? Mora asked, giving Dylan an uneasy look. "'Oh, it's nothing,' Dylan started to say, but Mac cut him off. "'Come on, Dill, let's just get it over with. "'I'll start.' "'Mac sat up a little straighter. "'I'm sure you've all been wondering how I came across those gems "'that I paid that nasty Miragean dude with. "'It's fine, Mac, we know you took them from Ryan,' Dylan threw in anxiously. "'We forgive you. Next topic.' "'That is incorrect.' Mac said irritably. I did not steal the gems. I brought them with me from home. What? Why? Laney asked, finally breaking character. Mac looked away from the group and stared into the swirling colors of the Joppo. I was. I was planning on planting them in the hole Dylan and I were digging in the baseball field. Are you serious? Dylan asked, suddenly intensely interested in Mac's excuse. Mac wouldn't look at him. I wanted you to find them. Nothing but the hums of the airship's engines filled the air. Dylan wasn't sure he'd heard him right. What? he whispered. I knew... Mac took a deep breath. I knew that you and your mom needed help, and you never ever let me help you guys, so... I thought this would be a cool, sneaky way of doing it. If you believed we'd found treasure in the hole, you would have actually taken it. Because you worked for it." Dylan felt a lump form in his throat. The memories of all the times Mac had tried to offer him money and he'd turned him down came flooding back into his mind. He couldn't believe he'd go through so much trouble just to get him to accept some money. Planting buried treasure? What was he supposed to say to that? He didn't say anything. He just looked down at his feet and tried to hide the fact that tears were welling up in his eyes. It didn't help that everyone was looking at him, waiting for him to say something. ''Well,'' Mac finally said, breaking the awkward silence, ''now that we've got that out of the way, Dylan has something he'd like to share with us, don't you, Dill? ''Come on, man, we made a deal!'' Dylan was still trying to gather his thoughts. Shaking his head, he discreetly wiped his eyes and then reached back and pulled out Kai's dagger. Okay, back at Kai's place, I grabbed a weapon so we could defend ourselves if Kai attacked. I used it to cut the airship's balloon, and I couldn't bring myself to throw it away. He sheepishly held the dagger up to the Joppo's light, and the gems in its handle glittered. Moore and Grebe gasped when they saw it. "'What are you doing with that?' Mora said angrily. Dylan was surprised by her reaction. "'I just told you.' Mora and her father exchanged a look of shock. "'Where was it?' Mora asked. "'It was just sitting there in Kai's penthouse,' Dylan answered, getting more confused by the second. "'Look, it was really stupid, I know, I just... Do you know what that is?' Greeb asked in a clear, booming voice, A dagger, Moore and greeb exchanged another look that is no dagger, boy, Greeb said, a look of genuine terror in his face. It is a key, back in the city of Ryan. Kai marched down the steps into the enormous hangar under his castle, dressed in his finest yellow armor, flowing red cape and red Nike knockoff sneakers. He stopped on the balcony and looked out over the cavernous room full of Riser soldiers, some working in front of projection screens, others attending to Riser warships and weapons. Many of the ships had enormous drill bits poking out of their cockpits, and others were being armed with crystal cannons. Around them, projected images showed scenes of the chaos taking place above. Explosions, crashing airships, collapsing buildings, soldier skirmishes. Kai's generals were deliberating among themselves and directing troops through a microphone as they watched the scenes unfold. A few of them casually sipped drinks and laughed from the comfort of their chairs. Kai watched his plans unfolding just as he had imagined. Well, almost as he had imagined. There was one thing missing. Soren! he called. A tall, skinny general dressed in yellow armor came running up to the balcony. Yes, sir. Have you found it yet? Kai asked. The general swallowed nervously. We haven't, sir. We have searched the area several times and I've put my best screw on it. Just in case our technicians are working on an alternate trigger source. Don't be ridiculous, Kai snapped. There is no other way to activate the drum rock. We'd need the key. We've checked every inch of the base, sir, I can assure you, the general said, his voice shaky. Kai turned and looked out at the massive cracked rock that loomed beyond the warships. Its perfectly round-shaped dwarfed the ships around it. Molten red and orange light glowed through its cracks, and occasionally it hissed. A low thumping sound drummed deep within. Towards the bottom of the menacing sphere was a small control panel, at the center of which was a large keyhole. Kai glared down at it. If the key isn't here then I know exactly where it is. Hey, Rocketeers, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Digger. I'm really enjoying Digger, and I'm really excited to show you what happens next, so be sure to stay tuned. I want to take a second to give a shout-out to a couple loyal Rocketeers, Cheryl and Maggie Goal from Ontario, Canada. What's up? Thank you for listening. I know you're fans of Winglings. I love Winglings, too. It's actually one of my personal favorites, so check that out, Rocketeers. If you haven't listened to Winglings... The title might make it sound like it's a cheesy little fairy tale, but it's actually a really epic fantasy adventure. I hope you all like it. So check it out. Thank you, Mom, Roxanne Webb, for helping me edit the story. And a huge thank you to you, Rocketeers, who are leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends and family about these stories. It means so much to me that you guys are enjoying these. Till next time, Rocketeers. This is your host, Greg Webb.